Welcome to In Context and Culture, a podcast hosted by pastors Corey Majors and Trent Roseman, intended to clarify and comment on critical issues pertaining to theology, the Bible, and life in the church. Now, enjoy the podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the In Context and Culture podcast. I'm Trent. I'm joined, as always, with Corey Majors. We're so glad that you decided to uh, listen in today. And uh, we're thankful that we've got listeners like Phyllis, who's been enjoying the podcast. Um, We also, uh, Corey, you asked a question last week at the end of our podcast, as is now um, uh, a continual thing we'll be doing. And you asked which would be the rudest animal. We did get an answer. Um, we did, uh, yes. Uh, Stephanie Harrington, who we both know um, from West Plains, now serving in Arkansas, uh, no, mentioned. Now she's serving in Houston, Texas. Oh, really? You don't even know. You don't even keep up with your own friends. What's up with it? Oh man, I, I'm sorry, Steph, Stephanie. Throwing some love your way, Trent doesn't now, like you anymore. Now she spent some time in Houston before going to Arkansas. Now she's back in Houston. Is that correct? Correct. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, very cool. Well. uh Texas. I was just in Texas earlier this year at a friend's uh, church, uh, getting the opportunity to speak, and it's it's a unique state. Like p- people love that they live. Yeah, people love that they live in Texas. The first thing that we did when we went to Texas was uh, we went to Bucky's. I think I'm saying that oh, right, dude. <laughs> every time I go to every time I go to a Bucky's, like me and my boys get a picture with the Bucky statue outside. Dude, it's an experience. <laughs> Bucky's is the most Texas thing there is. Like you walk no, dude, in, it's not yeah. just in Texas. Really? Yeah, they've got one in Alabama, like on the way to the beach. I did not know that. Okay. Yeah. Is the first time I had went. Um, yeah, I saw the big. What's it a statue of? What's their mascot? Like a gopher. Yeah, big statue of a gopher outside. You walk in, they've got like Bucky's chips and Bucky's snacks and like T-shirts that have a gopher on it and. It's like the biggest gas station that you've ever set foot in. It's and awesome. They've, they've got cowboy hats for sale in there and like random, uh, you know, metal uh, designs to put on your wall. It's just the most random thing in the world. It's awesome because like the last time I was in Bucky's, uh, I was on the way to the beach and um, this guy is literally doing a Facebook Live event in Bucky's, and he's just like <laughs> panning around, and he's just like all of the people watch. He's like, "This is literally a gas station," and like <laughs> it was so cool because he was just so enamored with it, and like I am too because it's really awesome. I think they they're like the Starbucks of convenience stores because they've turned in they've turned going to the convenience store into an experience, right? It, it is and, for. It is definitely an experience, and like people love it there. I see. I don't. I don't get the fascination. I think it's funny, um, because it just seems so Texas to me. But when I went to to speak, I I considered getting a little. He said gopher, right? A gopher stuffed yeah. animal, and then a T-shirt that was a Bucky's T-shirt with him on it, and walking up to speak uh, at this event uh, with that on. Like, and I feel like the crowd would just roar. But honestly, well, yeah. I, uh, I'm a huge fan of Parks and Rec, right? And I, I think you've seen Parks and Rec as well. <laughs> I feel like I feel like Adam Scott feels, um, which I can't think of his name in the show. Um, Le- Leslie Nope. What part does he play? Leslie Nope's significant other that gets she gets married to him. Um, Benjamin Wyatt. Yes. Ben, yeah, Ben Wyatt. Uh, I feel like him and his fake love for little Sebastian. Like right. I just don't I don't get it. Everybody loves it. I don't get it. Um, well, I'm just telling you right now, if we're doing correlation, I'm the Ron Swanson in that scenario because <laughs> I love Bucky's. I think it's the coolest thing. And I'm probably just like the most redneck for even admitting that. But it's true. I love Bucky's <laughs> and I'm not afraid to admit it. I, uh, I enjoy Parks and Rec so much that, uh, of course, we're doing a lot of Zoom calls right now uh, with COVID 19 and everything with student ministry and young adult ministry and church wide. And, uh, I found a background because you know you can change your virtual background, and I oh, found I didn't a know that. yeah you can, and I found a Ron Swanson <laughs> background. It's an it's his office, so it looks like I'm in his office. Can you please send thing. me that? Oh no I doubt. Totally yeah. want that. Yeah, yeah I, I waited for my young adults to figure out where I was because some of them, if they're not good backgrounds, it'll it'll look like you're in front of a green screen. But if you mm-hmm. don't move and it's a good one, 
yeah, uh, it'll look like you're actually in the place. And so it was a good one. So anyways, well, hey, uh, did we say what Stephanie uh, picked? I know we, we, we got I don't on. think we did. Yeah, okay. we got off on uh, Bucky's and so. Well, why don't, um, why don't yeah, you tell the people she, what they want to hear? She picked uh, the animal, the baboon. She thought that would definitely be the rudest animal. And I think there's it's hard to refute that because, yeah. you know, these animals throw their feces on you whenever you go to the zoo. And so, like, that's completely rude. Um, so in you our, thought of another one a minute ago, right? Well, yeah, but, like, in our, in our pre-show prep, you know, our very extensive pre-show prep before we started this, I didn't mention to you that when she mentioned that, I actually looked up baboon, and uh, I didn't see pictures of them throwing their feces, but I did see a little short, like, GIF GIF video, whichever one you want to say it sounds like, GIF GIF. Uh, and uh, it was a, a baboon who had backed their uh, its bottom against the glass at an uh, like at a zoo, and there's a little kid like face level with the baboon's bottom. <laughs> like it, it was funny. Yeah, that's pretty rude. All right, so my my animal that I, I would choose because you mentioned we would mention the animals. Uh, so um, I think, in my own experience, it would be uh, a raccoon because. Uh, I grew up going camping a lot with my parents, uh, with our family, uh, my sister and my parents. And oftentimes we'd wake up the next morning and raccoons had gotten even like in our coolers, like they found a way to open it up and, you know, get the food out and like leave, we're just leaving crumbs everywhere. And so you wake up with no food. And like I've seen and heard about stories about raccoons, like when you get angry at them, they get angry back. And so it's like a, it's an animal that is mad at you for taking advantage of, for, for getting taken advantage of. And, like, I can't think of a more rude thing. Well, so. I mean, you know, that was the thing that jumped on Elf in the movie, right? That's exact. Maybe right. that's my only uh, idea of why raccoons are the way that they are, and I'm sure that's extremely scientifically accurate. So I've got a funny story about raccoons. Yeah. Um, so my, uh, my mother and father-in-law... They live on a farm, and they've got lots of cats out back. And so the coons were getting into the cat food and eating it at night. And so my father-in-law decides that he's going to get rid of these raccoons. And so, like, he takes his rifle to bed with him because they're, the way their bedroom's situated, like, he can look out his bedroom window and see where these coons are. And he decides, well, I'm going to take out these coons they're not going to see it coming i'm going to get rid of them well the only problem is you know he wakes up he hears something outside he looks out it's the raccoons but the problem is he forgot to wake up my mother-in-law and so all of a sudden she just wakes up to gunfire in their bedroom (laughs) (laughs) scared her to death i think she jumped out of the bed and had a minor, minor cardiac event but um Anyway, yeah. So, anyway, like my, uh, I think the rudest animal would probably be a mixture, uh, well, not a mixture, but either or, um, either a donkey, because he won't do anything you want him to do, um, or you, uh, m- maybe the camel or an alpaca, I think we mentioned earlier, yeah, uh, that would spit on you. Um, I'm not sure, I mean, but I think spitting on someone's face would be the definition of rude, especially <laughs> in the um, pandemic time that we live in. And so um, there you go. Disease spreader, camel, alpaca. You know, I might I, I might be in the minority with you, but I think uh, spitting on someone's face would be rude. Yeah. 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 Um, did you see in the news, uh, didn't, I, I, okay, like, we do a lot of research as we do our podcast, you know, and, um, Extensive. Uh, did, did you see that someone like got like either fined or put in jail for a, for a decent amount of time for like licking different items in Walmart or in a convenience store? Did you, did you see that? No, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. So someone walked through as like, it's just a fun prank. I think it was like a TikToker, um, which makes total sense. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and like went and licked different items and it might have been a Walmart, it might have been another grocery store, but they were like, I think they were put in jail. And like, I think it's going to be a long time that they're going to spend time in jail. Well, um, dude, people aren't playing about that. They're not, man. Yeah, I just went and, to the uh, store yesterday, um, and uh, 
like just to get some groceries and all nearly everyone uh, was wearing a mask in there yeah it's wild we had some people um make us one make us some and so like we were gonna go into sam's yesterday and we put them on uh and i was pretending like i was undercover making the finger guns and all <laughs> but um at any rate yeah uh it, you know there was a guy close to us here that uh I think he got arrested as well for just going around and telling people that he had it whenever he did not. And just oh, and like got like terroristic threatening or something, I don't know. Um charged against him or whatever. But Yeah, yeah I mean people aren't playing. The, the way that it's been um you know, just communicated as something that's it is deadly. I mean it is deadly. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. um yeah, they're not allowing people to, to, to make any jokes about it. No, nor should you make jokes about it, but it, yeah, it is sure. crazy just to the extent of which you might be, you know, prosecuted because of it. I, I don't know. It's yeah. wild. Um, you were talking about, uh, I know we get, need to get to a topic before too long, but you were talking about uh, the, the man who was shooting a raccoon, and I couldn't help but remember um, before I went to college, I served at a, a small Christian retreat center. Um, like a camp center, uh, a place that you know people would rent out uh, in Missouri, and I'm sure I'm going to get flack for even mentioning this, but one of my favorite memories is uh, we had a 22, um, and there was raccoons constantly getting in our food, and so I'm not sure we told the camp owner this, uh, but we went and uh, camped out late at night with a, a spotlight and was looking for eyes in the woods. We'd we planted some food, and let's just say we took it took uh, took down some raccoons that were getting into our food, and uh, that was just a good memory. That was fun. Standing On a side up all night, night and I actually saw a raccoon uh, during the day yesterday, like alongside of the road. So huh. I think even the coons are getting desperate in these times. Well, hey, when we were mentioning topics, um, we kind of. I mean, we threw a lot out there that would be interesting to talk about. And so maybe you're like, what did you throw out there? And so I'll just go ahead and for all those of you, uh, the four or five of you who are asking, oh, what did, what did you throw around? Um, well, we were talking about uh, you know, COVID-19 and how churches are responding to it by gathering, quote unquote, gathering online and streaming uh, their services, as well as having what we might refer to as some sort of virtual communion. Uh, we talked about the Southern Baptist Convention just canceling uh, the, the, the convention gathering in June. Uh, we talked about different stories, were positive stories from our church that people um, are, are either ministering or being ministered to in this time of self-isolation. So why don't we just take a few of these once at a time? Um, so uh, as I mentioned, the 2020 Southern Baptist Convention to be held in Orlando, Florida, just about an hour and 30 minutes from where I um, call home, uh, was canceled this year. And if I am not mistaken, this is only like the third time that's actually happened. I could be wrong, and it's been a number of years uh, since that's happened. I think the last time it happened, once again, if I remember correctly, and like I said, we do extensive research, right, uh, was back in like World War II. Um, I think that's correct. Okay, yeah. So kind of what are your thoughts to this and, and... do you think this will change the landscape in the Southern Baptist Convention? How has it changed, you know, anything in the Southern Baptist Convention as far as, you know, conversations that were going to happen at the convention that may not happen or be suspended? And is that, is that good, bad? Could there be some good conversations suspended? Or is it, could it be good that they're suspended? Or, you know, what are your just initial thoughts? Well, yeah, I mean, I think there it is good that there is probably some uh, cooling off period. I think the chatter uh, on social media had gotten pretty out of control in some areas um you know there's been quite a bit of hubbub if you will um over um women in the pulpit um as far as being a senior pastor or lead pastor in a church um that's gotten quite a bit of traction in the last year and caused quite a bit of controversy and i think would have been a major um major issue at the convention this year there's also the pastors conference uh the lineup that they had for that was causing quite a bit of debate um and so like i think that these things um sometimes get blown way out of proportion i remember last year being at the southern Baptist convention and uh, one of the speakers 
commented that there were so many people that had said to him that it was a lot more, um, people were a lot more friendly than they expected them to be. There wasn't as much controversy at the convention uh, as they were expecting. And this the speaker said, there's a reason for that. It's because Twitter is not reality. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I think having this pandemic may put some things in perspective for people. Now, I think there are right theological positions that one cannot compromise on because they are um, biblical and that's our final authority for faith and practice. And, and so we have to go by scripture. But, you know, sometimes we get in so many side discussions and get riled up about stuff that um you know whenever we're we're talking about life and death in people now and you know focusing on people's eternity where they're going to spend eternity like that's that should be the main focus of the southern baptist convention that's why it was created to begin with was to focus on reaching the lost uh for christ and so i think it's i think it's good uh in some aspects and in those aspects but it is going to change a lot because we usually elect a new president every year uh, and new officers for the convention and really the southern Baptist convention only only exists for a few days a year whenever it's convened and otherwise the executive committee operates there and so um you know that's going to be different because all those officers will remain until they uh, are replaced in the next election so what are your thoughts yeah so let me let me uh, just mention a comment that i saw on twitter and and as you just mentioned twitter is its own world um, I think that's a good comment because, you know, there seems to be so much vitriol between certain power groups or certain um, uh, groups with specific philosophies that really um, tend to attack other groups. Um, and, and some, you know, bring uh, w- what I think is positive critique. Uh, um, and I think we all can bring positive critique uh, against certain positions or um, to certain positions positively but but yeah i think twitter isn't reality is a good comment to to have because you can go to the convention and 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 not see any of that so um one thing that uh, someone posted on twitter that i thought was really good was that um now i want to make sure i'm not saying covid 19 is a good thing but you've seen people respond in certain ways because of the pandemic that it is um so a lot of you know, local church pastors were spending a lot of time going at certain other positions they didn't agree with, and then you just kind of saw a silence in that once COVID-19 started to spread around our country. And and one person commented and said, you know, uh, many pastors are too busy uh, caring well for their members to try to spend time, you know, chasing smaller issues now there, there are some issues worth chasing but there are some that aren't and and sometimes it takes a, a, a pandemic for us to realize that um, let me just say this I, uh, I, I let me rewind something back what you said you said one of the biggest issues uh, you think is is women in the, in the pulpit right now in the Southern Baptist Convention um, so that was obviously an issue back in the was it 70s 80s am I right I mean early 90s as well Right, but it was it was mostly '80s. Is that correct? Well, I was a little kid then, so I wasn't really up on convention politics at that time. But so possibly, Adrian Rogers, you've got Paige Patterson, right? I mean, it's that was, kind of been that. I think that was a conservative resurgence, and so yeah, there was an issue with that because there was even, um, you know, uh, ladies teaching. teaching in seminaries, right, and right, right. training pastors, and those kind of things. Yeah. yeah so the the two biggest issues there that I think were that had a lot of conversation and. Um, finally came out with some clarity on uh, were the inspiration of scripture and um, and, and, and and women in the pastorate right mm-hmm. uh, and and thankfully we came out of that um, in what I would consider and I, I know you would consider uh, fighting for biblical truth you know what the Bible says and I think um, you know we're, we're in a sort of um, uh, conversation right now that I, I don't think is to the extent of that one. What you mentioned was uh, first you said women women in the pulpit, and then you kind of mentioned whether or not women can serve as, as pastors. Um, I maybe I'm naive, 
but it seems to me the majority of the people having this conversation, wherever they land on certain um, ideas of complementarianism, um, we are a complementarian uh, uh, con convention. We're a complementarian by our Baptist faith and message. And so um, having fought the, the, the conversation of who can serve in the pastorate, can women serve in the pastorate? Like we've went through that and we came on the other side saying the Bible was very clear on this, that, that it's for men, specifically only qualified men. So do you think mm -hmm. we're bringing that conversation up or do you think there's just a conversation among um, leaders within complementarianism trying to define complementarianism and disagreement within complementarianism? Does that make sense? Like is our, is the, is the, is the big conversation um, understanding complementarianism and disagreeing on it? And is there room in complementarianism? Or is the conversation, um, who can be a pastor? Like, where do you think it's going? Well, I think both of those conversations are out there. And it depends on who you talk to. Like, you know, you've got some, you've got some bloggers that uh, absolutely uh, love to stir up controversy. Um, and so like they, they want to fuel that controversy of women, uh, in the pastorate. And so I think they keep putting stuff out about it. Like I, to me, I think that's mostly, I would think mostly put to bed, but at the same time, what we've seen, even I would say in the, the lineup for the, um, the pastor's conference, maybe that's rearing its head again. Yeah. Um, and so I do think that's out there and one that probably in the cultural context in which we live will will always be out there to a certain degree, yeah. uh, because I think there's always going to be people pushing against the biblical standard and they're going to be pushing people to become lax on that and saying it doesn't matter and, and all of those kind of things. And we're going to have to constantly reinforce, you know, that's one of the things I'm struck by in scripture all the time is that Paul constantly had to defend his apostleship mm -hmm. and, you know, his authority to do things. And so like, I don't think, I don't think anything is ever going to be fully done away with. Like those old things are going to continue to recycle over and over again, which I think you you see uh, over the course of time. And so, but I also think the other one out is out there too, like how, how do we define complementarianism? And I, you know, I'll be honest with you. Um, I don't know what all the arguments are in that. And so you might be, be able to shed a little bit more light on that. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I guess just, you know, I wasn't around for the, for the earlier fights, so I don't know where they started. I don't know where they stopped. I've seen videos of Mueller defending, um, you know, uh, his stance and, 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 you know, taking more specifically our stance because we are not only complementarian, um, but we uh, define complementarianism and make sure I'm not speaking just for you, but we define complementarianism as um, men and women are both uh, created uh, by God in his image to reflect his glory, to know him, to love him, to serve him, to submit ourselves to him. Um, and uh, uh, in creation, we are equal in, in value and dignity and worth. Um, uh, however, within God's good creation, he has designed specific roles and responsibilities to each gender, right? Um, both in uh, just who we are, and even in the in the marriage relationship, right? So, mm -hmm. um, and those roles are are not um, uh, a burden; rather, they're a blessing to to enjoy because God created us um, specifically in our, our gender to be able to uh, flourish, right, uh, as humans. Um, so, uh, to to push back against the roles given to us by God is to say, we don't like how you've designed us and what you designed us for. Um, we know better. Um, uh, and so, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I feel like I had a few yeah, more things to say on that. I, I would agree with that definition. And I, and I also think it's important for us to understand when we're talking about complementarianism, that equal in value and image, but different in role. It's not as if women don't help shape 
a pastor. Like I, Absolutely. you know, like I've I've had strong um, female influences in my life. Um, my mother was a strong lady; she still is. Um, you know, uh, I think uh, uh, one that you and I both know. I'll just shout her name out here. Linda Revis was a uh, strong influence in my life. She was a strong lady. Um, my wife is a strong lady, and like the. the We've got lots of people, even in my church right now, that are strong women that are of value to the kingdom, and they help have helped shaped me as who I am as a pastor. And so, so it's not that you know their role is secondary. God uses them in the life of the church and even in the life of a pastor to to bring about um, the purposes God has for for that individual in his life and and his ministry. Um, and boy, if it wasn't for women in our Southern Baptist churches over the last few decades, boy, we'd be in bad shape because the men just have not stepped up the way they should have. Um, and so one. I think um, I think we should definitely value uh, what they do because it is, it is a great asset to the kingdom of God. That's a good word. I... Uh... I just did a study um, on the book of Daniel, in fact, uh, not long ago with our young adults. And um, one of actually the commentaries I used was the the old Tyndale commentary um, and Joyce Baldwin. um, I believe she's a professor at Trinity College in Bristol. Uh, She was the dean of women and she had a lot of uh, good historical information to help understand the story of Daniel. And I'm very thankful for her, as well as personal influences in my life as well. Um, you know, uh, is it Paul who tells Timothy to remember and be thankful um, for those who taught him the faith? And that was um, uh, yeah. women in his life, you know. Um, yeah. So um, I, I know I'm indebted to so many women um, uh, who, who have stirred my affections for Jesus and um, led me uh, correctly into the Scriptures. So um, let me say this, uh, I, I think within you know, the, the convention, um, I, I think there needs to be on many things a certain amount of wiggle room. Um, uh, I think we need to let the scripture be uh, our, our final authority and where it is clear we must defend. Um, where it is not extremely clear, you know, uh, we need to allow a little bit of liberty. Um, so I know uh, people were, um, you know, going so far as to say that, um, y- you know, uh, w- women should be able to do every everything a, 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 an ordained pastor should do, you know, could do. We would not agree with that um, based upon what we see First Timothy um, chapter 2 and 3 teach. Um, but we do need to honor how women uh, have served us, have served in the church, and uh, equip women to serve the church in the ways that God has um, gifted them to do. Um, so, uh, and, and I would just say this, equal in uh, value, dignity, and worth, but also equal in position um, before God, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, m- moving on from, from there, um, I, uh, in, in college ministry and young adult ministry, I come across often, um, I don't know if you've experienced this, but this is something I thought would be interesting to talk about, Um, like common Christian cliches, uh, like a lot of times social media influencers or Christian influencers who um, have become popular, um, maybe for reasons other than, you know, writing Christian books. Maybe they're a famous baseball player, a famous golfer, a famous TV show, you know, um, individual uh, that become famous um, often times like can coin phrases uh, or, or we ourselves over time have coined certain Christian cliches that just don't hold true. Do you find yourself ever kind of battling against maybe some phrases you've heard that um, once truly explored like they might on a surface level um, uh, seem to like you get the intent from the, the, the cliche, but on a deeper exploration, it, it just doesn't make sense. And unless you just nuance it and explain it and have to qualify it, it, it won't work. And, and, you're, and you're, you're kind of nervous about accepting it just at face value. Anything like that? I know I just talked a lot to explain one little thing, but... 
<laughs> well, um, I'm sure I like. There's nothing popping at the top of my head right now. I'm sure there are. If you can remind me of some of them, yeah. But, um, no, I didn't but, do it. Um, you know, so like, what, what's one you have? So, um, like, uh, have you ever heard someone uh, say relationship, not religion? You know, Christianity is a relationship; it's not a religion. Um, that's an as an example, and and I think the intent is is um, you know to s- strip away uh, the idea that. Um, you know, Christianity is just going to church and doing the right things, and you know, and you can even find some Old Testament uh, examples for uh, people giving sacrifices but weren't truly obedient because their heart was far from God. And and sometimes we've attached religion to dead, dry, um, uh, lack of desire for God works. Right? Um, is that always true? With the word religion, is, 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 is it true that religion is bad and our relationship with Jesus is only a relationship and not religious? Well, I, I mean, I do think there is some religious nature to our faith because, um, I mean, if you look in the Old Testament, like there was very much religious ritual that that God had the Israelites go through. And even, like we're even in the midst of this whole uh, pandemic not being able to meet like we religiously meet together uh, you know on a weekly basis to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and that's that's not a bad thing that's a good thing um, and so yeah I get what you're talking about because we can we can throw the baby out with the bathwater right. sometimes and um, you know if if there wasn't if there wasn't religiousness in us, um, I think it would be a whole lot harder to maintain um, the, the faith just because you need some of those things that are regular rhythms in your life. And I think God obviously knew that. And, and so he established those things. I think the intent of that saying is don't just go through the motions without heart. You know, yeah. like G- Jesus even said, you know, um, they, they, uh, honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me right and so i think that's what people are trying to warn against and we all should be warned against that correct um but but under further expiration like you said you can just say a phrase like this and and the problem is someone might hear it and take it to the uh the extent that it doesn't work because i mean you got it for example you got james chapter 1 26 to 27 that talks about pure religion right um, uh, that, that it's mm-hmm. uh, bridling your tongue, that it's taking care of widows and orphans, and that it's um, keeping yourself unstained from the world. And so uh, God has, I mean, a lot of times when we think of religion, we think of an organized set of not only beliefs and values, but in, in, instruction, um, uh, obedience is kind of assumed with the word religion. And a lot of times what Jesus was battling against was ritualistic religion um, stripped away from uh, any kind of heart dimension uh, uh, aspect of actually serving the Lord. I mean, you've got the example in First um, Samuel where it said that the Lord uh, uh, desires obedience, not sacrifice. So you can sacrifice, do what God says, without actually obeying God. <laughs> like, right. um, so obeying does not just mean doing what He says without delight in Him. Right. So uh, I, I think when that phrase is just thrown out there, sometimes we can just think, oh, I can have a personal relationship with God without any type of religious obedience. That's not true. Um, James instructs us that there is a way to live um, uh, as a believer to lead people to the Lord that you serve, and it's taking care of your mouth, uh, doing things with your hands, and keeping yourself away, your heart away from that which pulls your heart away from God. So he, in a sense, redeems the word religion, right? Um, yeah. He tells us there is a right way to understand religion. And so we've got to be careful to push so far against something that uh, Jesus intended to, to redeem, right? Yeah, and I think the intention that people have, sometimes people just use that as an excuse so as not to have to, you know, obey anything. Like they just right. want... They just want to throw off all laws at all and just say, well, I don't need the church. I don't need 
Um, you know, I don't, I don't have, you, you've heard, here's another cliche that kind of goes along with that is, uh, uh, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian, you know, like, uh, and we can get into that one in a minute, but like, uh, you know, just wanting to do away with all law is, you know, antinomianism, like just complete lawlessness that I can do whatever I want. And I think that's why, like you even saw a famous pastor here several years ago, got in trouble because he thought he, he believed that there was no law there was no obedience for people once they got saved they just lived a total life of grace and so they nobody could hold them accountable to anything and as a result he fell into sin which is terrible um and i and i my heart breaks for somebody like that because they just had a complete misunderstanding of what the scriptures was talking about about grace yeah. You know, it, it should produce the fruit of righteousness, which would be obedience out of love, not no law at all. Um, that's good. Uh, you know, I, I I once was talking to someone about, um, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but have you ever heard someone say like, you know, you should come visit our church. We're a, we're a judgment-free church. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I, like all of these things that are said that have become cliches are well-intentioned, but you can be well-intentioned and be wrong, right? Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and even if the intention is right, I mean, I mean, God does look at the heart, but we got to be careful how we lead people, even in the words that we use, right? Mm. A lot of things that are well-intentioned, once explored, are not true. And if they're not true, they're not helpful and good, right? So um, another one, you know, like we just mentioned, was the, the judgment-free church thing. Um, so a lot of times we try to be, churches often try to be a judgment, quote-unquote, judgment-free church. Well, are they trying to be something that's actually biblical or not? Because wh- what the Bible makes very clear is that Christians, um, and I actually saw in some of my ESV study notes something I disagreed with in last night, which is far and few between because I'm by no means a theologian. The theologians have written this, and they said, you know, Christians are not supposed to, quote-unquote, judge each other. Um, and yet, the verses that they cited were First Corinthians five twenty one and um, and and Matthew six, both of which are <laughs> are telling you that you should you should just do it very carefully and properly and mm-hmm. not in the wrong ways, right? I mean, First Corinthians five uh, says that you it, it gives a command in that verse to judge, but it's not to judge outsiders, but those within the church, and it's for their benefit, uh, for their um, you know, uh, accountability. Uh, you're supposed to look at their lives. I mean, keep one another accountable so that you might not um, run headlong into sin. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, yes, it tells you uh, uh, not to judge without first considering the fact that you will be judged with the measure that you judge. But it does say, and so if even people leave this out, it does say um, once you have removed the log in your own eye, help your brother with the speck, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, a, a judgment-free church isn't biblical. Now, we don't want to be judgment, judgmental to the outside world in the way of um, expecting unbelievers just to act like believers, right? Um, Paul would say you have to go outside of the world um, to, to, be far, to be removed from unbelievers. You're, you're put in the world for a reason, right? We, we talk about the, the Lord's judgment as we share the gospel to unbelievers, but we don't judge them in the same way of keeping them accountable because they don't live their lives in the under the standard of Scripture. Does that sort of make sense? Yeah, and, and to be fair, like I think one of the reasons that cliche has come around has been because there has been a tendency in the past um, toward legalism right. in some churches. And so that legalism would look at the outside world and say, no, you have to live up to this standard to be acceptable, which is not the message of the Bible uh, either. Um, the message is we are never going to live up to the standard, and therefore God has given us grace through Jesus Christ. And so, you know, there's there's this kind of pendulum swing that happens, and I don't know if it happens once every couple of decades or what, but from, from this complete legalism back to this complete lawlessness, and, and we can't be off the rails on either side we've got to be right in the center um and and i think that's only either side's only remedied by understanding our nature and understanding the nature of grace that we've been given yeah um and because it is 
is completely undeserved and therefore that should result in this desire to follow after the Lord who's been so gracious and benevolent to us. And so it, it's hard. I mean, you know, it's hard not to get off on either side. We have to constantly be disciplined to be in the scriptures and be in, be in tune with the spirit of the Lord. Or, you know, I think we even as pastors can, can fall off those rails on either side. I think that's good. I think Jesus, when he walked in, uh, you mentioned legalism and lawlessness, and you know, see self-righteousness and rebelliousness that Jesus walked into and offered grace, and the rebellious quickly accepted it because they knew their need, whereas the self-righteous didn't. And so they oftentimes you know, um, uh, were frustrated with Jesus, who he hung out with, right? Um, mm-hmm. but, but that's not to say that Jesus didn't offer life to both, right? Um, you know, he offered salvation to, to, to all who would um, to, to, to trust in him, you know, um, from the legalist to the lawless. Uh, another phrase that really um, oftentimes it gets passed around, I think, um, on social media and, and, and certain Christian circles uh, that really, honestly, in young adult ministry frustrates me to no end because, you know, once examined, it seems like it just pulls from the gospel is this statement you see on shirts, on t-shirts, and on hats, and it's the statement, I am enough. Um, I don't know if you've seen that anywhere, um, but like it, it, it takes all of me not just to turn us to Ephesians chapter 2, where it says you were dead. You know, you, you were following um, the passions of this world, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. The gospel speaks clear to the fact that we are not enough. That's why Jesus came. He is enough, and he has offered in himself life, and we need his life. We need him. Um, we will never be enough. So to just throw out this I am enough, like I think the intention is is right in like, you know, I, I, I don't know exactly what the intention is. Maybe it is that, you know, uh, as a believer, um, you don't need to earn the infection, affection of God. He, he loves you even where you've been. Um, but to say that I am enough is just not true, and it can lead people to think that they're okay um, without their desperate, without without crying out in desperation for their need for God. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it goes back again to to balance in all things because we we would believe that we come to Jesus just as we are, um, right. but you know, he he loves us enough not to leave us there, and and. Um, yeah, I mean, if like you said, if if it was up to us, if if we were enough, um, like we would be, we we would just be using Jesus as a crutch or just that little bitty oomph that we need to get over the hill, or you know. But I, I think right. part of that probably probably stems from our self help culture, right? Um, you know, and I've, I'm sure you've heard as I have many um, many Bible teachers that will talk about going into a a bookstore of any kind and the self-help section is the largest one in there. Right. And, um, because in, in some way, every, everybody does want to be able to save themselves. You know, they want to, they want to be the master of their own destiny. Um, and they want to be the determiner of, of what comes ahead. And, and like truth be known, scripture says we are completely helpless without, you know, the work of God in our life. And so, um, yeah, there's nothing about us uh, that is enough. Like I, I even think about my role as a pastor in the church. Like there is nothing in my brain that would compute that I'm enough to to have this responsibility. Mm. Like there's a certain amount of fear and trepidation that I have every Sunday whenever I step into that pulpit because I have to get up there and say, "Thus saith the Lord." Right. And and I'm not competent in my own being to do that rightly without the spirit of God leading me in the scriptures, without him illuminating them and what they are without him speaking through me. Like you've, you've heard me speak many times. Like I, I characterize myself as vanilla ice cream, right? Like I am what I am and uh, there's not a whole lot of flash. I just, 
want to give the truth, and it's only the Spirit of God applying that to the hearts of people that will make the difference. And that's what I pray for every week. And so, like, there's, you know, and there are guys that can get up and talk circles around me. Um, and there are probably guys, and I've, I've served with guys before that would, that would um, run circles around me as far as their pastoral care in the church and stuff like that. And so, so like even after we come to Christ, there is, there's no version of us that is enough um, for any aspect of our life. It's only by the grace of God that we are what we are. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to know that even, even though we come as we are um, and he meets us where we're at, he doesn't meet us where we're at because we're enough. Um, out yeah. of his great love, he comes to people weak, broken, sinful, dead, and not because of their, they're enough or because they're worthy, but because uh, he is a loving, gracious, merciful, sovereign Savior, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, and yeah, and I think you're right too, like, you know, the same grace that saved us, sustains us, and secures us for all eternity. Um, uh just keeping track of time here. Um, there's one more that I think is just worth kind of talking about for a second. Like, have you ever talked, m- maybe you've, uh, I-, I think a lot of these co- are, are aiming to combat something because the intention in so many of these are, are, are good. But like I said, intentions, um, it doesn't matter the intentions if what's said is not true. Have you ever heard it said or have um, you never ever heard it mentioned before that uh, works as in, Christian works don't matter. You know, works don't matter. Uh, a, uh, you know, a relationship with God is what we need. Works just, it's not about works. Christian life is not about works. Maybe you've heard it said like that. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know if I've heard that phrase, but I've heard that sentiment in a lot of things. Um, you know, and I think we have, I think we have seen the result of that in the church because you'll have somebody that will, come and supposedly make it a, a, uh, a, you know have a conversion experience and then their life doesn't show any fruit of that at all and so I don't I don't know if that was communicated to them you know like you you probably heard the term easy believism before yeah. but you know just believing certain things about God and nothing else changes in their life it's more just intellectual assent than it is genuine transformation of the heart and so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've seen evidence of that in the church. How have you seen that play out? Yeah, same thing. So, uh, you know, easy believism isn't a term that I come in contact with often, but I've heard it before. Um, but uh, I think so often uh, we push against a, a legalistic approach to Christianity, and rightfully so. I mean, in, in Galatians, Paul was clear that you don't add to the gospel um, lest you be anathema, Right. Um, lest you be condemned, um, and and any who do, do add to the gospel, as in adding a work, um, as a necessary element of uh, one's uh, the means of one's salvation, um, it is misunderstanding the gospel and making salvation by your own work rather than the finished work of of Christ. Right. So, um, h- however, the reaction or the teaching that's come alongside of that is. This is not about work. Works don't matter. Well, certainly, we want to make clear here, works do matter. Um, Mm -hmm. Works absolutely matter. Um, In in fact, James would argue in chapter 2 of the book of James that um, uh, you can't say you have faith uh, apart from uh, a faith that actually works, right? Uh, Faith is visible even in the way that we live, right? And so I would go so far as to say that... um, works aren't necessary to make a Christian, but, but works are necessary in a Christian's life. In other words, um, um, works are by no means the uh, um, necessary as the means of salvation, but works are, as God explains throughout his word, um, works meaning obedience is, an, is a necessary element in a Christian's life. What, what John was combating um, was not only people who misunderstood uh, who Jesus w- was, um, the Antichrist in chapter 2 that he talks about, who spoke uh, wrongly about the 
uh, uh, deity of Christ, um, but they spoke wrongly about um, how God calls us to walk in the light, to live in obedience, to love our brother. Um, and, and in chapter two or three, he talks about, um, you know, John says something along the lines of, uh, you know, don't be confused. Uh, the one who practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. And so what he's saying there is he's most likely combating some teaching that said, hey, it doesn't matter the way that you live um, as a follower of the Lord, right? You can be righteous and not practice righteousness. And, and John's like, whoa, s- slow up. Um, and evidence of, of saving faith is um, a, a faith that uh, produces works and is, um, uh, is shown by genuine obedience to the Lord, right? So I, I think works are necessary in the life of the believer uh, in the sense of o- obedience um, it is necessary in one who calls himself a believer. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think there's two other passages for me that really, really brings that home in addition to the ones you've mentioned. And one of, uh, one of them is in the Gospels where Jesus says a tree will be known by its fruit. Mm. And so even an example uh, in nature that, you know, whatever's in the root of something is what it's going to produce. And so, you know, looking at a, a, a fruit tree, like a, a peach tree doesn't produce apples, it produces peaches and so you know there there should be a certain fruit of righteousness in the life of a believer and so that transformation i mean god promised in the new covenant he would put uh, give us a new heart remove the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh and mm-hmm. and so like whenever your heart's changed everything about you changes um, because um what's inside is going to come out. And then the other passage to me that's really important is in Romans chapter 1, verse 5, I believe it is, where Paul says that he his purpose as an apostle is to bring about the obedience of faith. That's good. Like faith should produce obedience to God. And if it um, doesn't, it, it, may not, it may be an evidence of the fact that you're not truly saved. I mean, wouldn't we yeah. agree with that? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, what a, we don't have anything else to base that on, uh, you know. And you know, I think think other places in Romans it talks about will be will be judged based on our works, you know. And so um, those things are are evident because of what's happened on the inside of us or what hasn't happened on the inside of us. Yeah. And you know, like you, you think about those passages, like you were mentioning a minute ago in First Corinthians. Where Paul says in the uh, about this one who is caught in immorality, that they are to put him out of the church, uh, to turn his, uh, to turn him out, so that, um, gosh, what help me here, um, so that, that his soul his, may be saved in the end. Correct. Yeah, the destruction of the flesh, so his soul may be saved in the end. Um, and so you know that's all they had to. Um, make that judgment on was was his outward actions yeah. and they he wasn't being obedient to the faith uh, he was being obedient to the flesh so let's, let's talk so, about that passage for a second because both of us have actually taught on that passage and people who maybe have never heard a sermon on that passage might be like what are you talking about um destruction of the flesh delivered up to satan so long story short if i if you don't mind just me summarizing it for a bit um sure. because i think there's one element that you're bringing up that's really important to talk about um so uh, what's mentioned in the very beginning of that chapter is that there is this individual who is having um, uh, intimate relations with what seems to be his stepmom in the church. And the, mm-hmm. in, in the church, um, that is the gathered body of Christ, is, is okay with it. Like, uh, it, it almost seems like by the way that it's written that they're applauding it, right? Almost like a, a license uh, uh, of grace. They've, got, they've been given grace. They can act the way that they want to. And he's going to address that in chapter 6. But um, the majority of Paul's time is not spent with that individual, but with the church, the church's um, affirmation and acceptance of that individual um, with, without any serious concern for them. And so what Paul does is he says, hey, when you come together, you need to deliver him um, 
to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his soul might be saved in the end. So he's saying you need to basically excommunicate him from the church, which I would argue um, that's what he means by delivering him to Satan, to the realm in which Satan has sway, which he does not in the church, right? Mm -hmm. um, so he needs to make, we need to make very clear church, I think Paul's saying, that he is, that we cannot affirm his salvation, right? That we cannot um, be okay with this sin. It says even unbelievers looking at the church are perplexed why the, uh, they're allowing this person to, to do this thing. It's even, even Gentiles think it's crazy. And then he says, so that his soul may be saved in the end. So Paul does not make a judgment call on this person's salvation. Later on in that chapter, he even says, um, this is not fit for one who bears the name of brother. So Paul is not comfortable with calling this guy a Christian because his, um, his the, the, the characteristic um, evidence of a, of a Christian is one who obeys God and, and, and has a, yes, a struggle with sin, but um, does not love it, right? And so he, right. he's careful to call him a Christian for that reason. Yeah, and I, th I think important thing that you mentioned there a minute ago is like that you and I, no one except for God and the individual can look into that person's heart right. and, and say, yes, you are a Christian or no, you're not. Right. But... As a church, whenever we bring members in, what we're doing is we, we're saying we affirm that we see the evidence of grace in your life, that God has changed you. Yeah. And whenever somebody is excommunicated or put out of the church, then we're saying, based on your actions, we can no longer affirm that we see evidence in your life of that. It's not that we're saying, no, you're not saved anymore. It's just we can't affirm that yeah. anymore. And I think that's an important distinction to make, too, because you and I... Or, or the the people in the church ultimately are not the the judge of one's soul, and right. we're not the ones that grant salvation by any means. And and this goes back to our conversation about is a judgment free church biblical? Because um, what Paul is doing here for that individual is not just being judgy in the sense that we think of when we think of ju judgment, right? Um, he uh, his his hope. Right, and and I think he wants the church's hope to be that this person's soul might be saved in the end. Right, right, absolutely. The, the heart is restoration, and um, the heart is being uh, uh, prayerfully that he would be joined back in the church. He'd repent of that sin, that he'd come back in the church and be welcomed with open arms. And some people argue that that does happen in Second Corinthians, whether he was talking about that individual or not. Right, being welcomed back into the church. But the but the hope was for. Um, uh, that individual be welcomed back, you know, to to to, to repent of sin and to um, to come back into the church. So, what was best for that individual was most certainly not, um, you know, just saying, "Oh, it doesn't matter. Works aren't necessary." And it was most certainly not um, avoiding bringing it up. It was bringing it up as a gathered church with great concern for this individual because eternity is at stake. Right, his his salvation is at stake here, so um, yeah. Did your did your phone yeah. just ring? It did. Sorry, I forgot <laughs> to unplug. <laughs> That's funny. You know, as we were uh, as we were talking there about that, a verse came to my mind. Proverbs twenty seven says, "The faithful faithful are the wounds of a friend; profuse are the kisses of an enemy." Um, and you know, a lot of times the church gets criticized for being harsh in those kind of situations where we would um, not tolerate um, sin. And the reality is it's far more loving for us to confront people's sin uh, than it would be for us just to let them go on uh, in that sin. Because, I mean, even in Romans chapter 1, judgment of God sometimes is manifested in the fact that he turns them over to themselves there he gives mm -hmm. them over to their passions and their lusts and so uh, it would be completely unloving for us uh, to to not confront those things well hey we've talked about cancellations we've talked about uh, a little bit regarding complementarianism we've talked about christian cliches anything else you want to add to the discussion man i don't think so today we've gone quite a ways and so uh as we as we get ready to close today, I just want to encourage you to go uh, again and and give us a five star review, and I want you to leave some comments for us, 
And uh, we're, we want you to answer this question. What is something that everybody looks stupid doing? Thank you.